0: Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, helping to raise awareness and help find a cure. Thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts, uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear these stories, including the Williams F1 team's planning director, Richard Jones, right now on your chosen podcast player the charity work all year round to help develop research and raise awareness and this october sees the return of the brain tumor charity's most beloved community event the Twilight walk you can join them remotely this autumn to cover 10 kilometers 40 kilometers 130 kilometers or your very own distance to raise money and take strides towards a cure moving about is well known for boosting our well-being and you can complete your walk bit by bit or all in one go as a team or by yourself at home or indoors so visit www.thetwilightwalk.com to sign up and start your fundraising challenge. A huge thank you for your support if you can donate anything you can do that through the motormouth.club website or through the brain tumour charity direct and together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumour It's season nine, and we're really excited to be once again teaming up with F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality, and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One this year, we're all over it. And the brilliant news is you can now be trackside thanks to F1 Experiences. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first-class hotels, and unprecedented access you simply cannot get any. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com, where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 Experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. So... What are you waiting for? Experience the 2021 F1 season first with exclusive access courtesy
1: of F1 Experiences. Get booking today at f1experiences.com. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Now, today's guest hails from Shropshire but was raised in Wolverhampton and did you know that the city, and yes, it is a city and was named so on the 18th of December in the year 2000, making it one of three millennium cities, the others being Brighton and Inverness, is home to one of the most successful football clubs in the country. If you go back to the 1950s. During that era they won three Football League championships which was then the highest division two FA Cups and were involved in the earliest European friendly matches they were hailed by the press as the unofficial world champions after one of their most famous wins against Honved of Hungary and they were the first English team to ever play in the Soviet Union the city's almost also famous for producing the band Slade but Harry Benjamin can you tell me how many number ones Slade had was it A 2 B 4 C, 8, or D, 6?
0: I feel like I, I only know one Slade song. Um, maybe that's... Oh, God. Um, so I'm going to say
1: 2, but I feel like that's horrifically wrong. You're going for A, 2. You're saying Slade had two number 1s. Yes. Wrong. So Slade had six number ones in the 70s, which were Because I Love You, Take Me Back Home, Uh, Mama We're All Crazy, spelt in a very funny way, Come On, Feel the Noise, Squeeze Me, Please Me come on you must know that one and merry christmas everybody of course yeah i knew that one yeah, <laughs> yeah. so another <laughs> totally poor effort from you on the uh, the quiz front 70s music is not my strong suit i have to admit i'm sorry well, i could only apologize you weren't born by about 20 years so i think you're forgiven
0: top 40 in the charts you can ask me that and i'll get it right straight away
1: yeah, well that's not the question <laughs> uh, right shall i introduce today's guest yeah, let's get on with it. So today we're joined by Susie perry Hailing from aforementioned Wolverhampton, but born at R.F. Cosworth in Shropshire. She's a proper Wolves footy fan, but I won't bore you with the history of Molyneux. After completing her education, I do know the history of Molyneux, by the way. After completing her education, she went on to work for Sky Sports and, of course, was a fixture on our Formula One screens with the BBC. She's arguably best known for her MotoGP work, but she's done a whole load more, including Goodwood Festival of Speed, where she did that interview with Valentino Rossi. She's also fronted National Lottery coverage. Hospital, Watchdog, The Gadget Show, Treasure Hunt, Superstars, BBC News, BBC Radio 2, BBC Sport, BT Sport, to name just a few. We're here to find out about her life opinions, views, fears and more. Susie Perry, welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Uh, thank you and obviously I've been around forever
2: with that <laughs> list.
1: That's <laughs> so. an impressive list.
0: <laughs> Did you know <laughs> how many you. number one Slade had?
2: Uh, well, I, I I would have gone for six. Yes, Aww. I would have gone for six. Actually, I, I might have gone for the higher number because I thought has Merry Christmas, Everyone" been n- number one about ten times yeah, over no. the decades. I'm not quite sure, but um, yeah, I'm I'm um, I know the boys actually I know the shape boys. And, awesome. They're all fantastic, honestly. They're they're all just so lovely.
1: Do awesome. you um? you you're, I know you're a Wolves fan. Um, do you know the history of Molyneux? <laughs>
2: Um I think reasonably well um I've been there enough but, um, yeah, actually, I posted a picture of myself on Instagram yesterday uh, lying in the changing room um, across the bench. And then Instagram went offline. So lots of people had <laughs> me on their Instagram feed all day lying in the Wolves uh, changing room, which is fine if you're a Wolves fan. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's some banter going on yesterday. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I, I am a massive Wolves fan. And actually, you said I came from RAF. Um, Cosworth because you're such a motor mouth and it's Cosford that I, made me I, laugh because
1: it shows you've got cars on your brain damn it damn it there's always something we always get something wrong but we at least we had the right we had the right cities you're a Wolves fan we know that Wikipedia but it's did a good, its thing it's
2: a good slip that one isn't it it Cusford, is a good Cusford. slip we'll have but that one we don't mind that one
1: um, it's, not the, it's not the worst mistake
0: Tim's made yeah. uh, ever in introducing uh, guests he can't just get their, their complete the, do, you know what, do you know what the worst one was wrong.
1: The, 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 the most embarrassing one was when we had uh, Freddie Hunt on J- James Hunt's son, and I called him James. Oh, well, That was a bit of a
2: clangor. All that stuff's easy. So I I think I was once in... bar and said we were in a completely different country, yeah. and that's which Eddie
0: Jordan just <laughs> uh, fell on the floor laughing, and he was going you're human, you're human, I'm like that, that's not very helpful now, Eddie, <laughs> Just this, well, well, I'm sure we've had Eddie on the show before, and he is certainly a character, I'm sure we'll come across uh, him and his exploits at some point as well, but let's dive into uh, all about your career, Susie, if I may, and, and take it right back uh, to the start, actually, and then how it all began, you know, take us up to those days uh, growing up, was all broadcasting and sport always on the brain, or how did it come about
2: a lot of sport um I was a sport bully at school and in all the teams I was lucky enough to go to a school where we had um we did everything absolutely everything I would go in the morning do sport lunchtime sport after school weekends my dad had his own football team um So, yeah, I was completely enveloped in in the sporting world. And whilst I wasn't brilliant at any one particular sport, I did um, partake in many. And I, uh, yes, I kind of grew up very in a very active way. Not so much broadcasting. I watched sport on TV. Um, But uh, music really was my, I suppose, my first love. My dad was um, an agent and a promoter. Um, So I, I grew up going to see a lot of live bands and being around live music. My godfather was in Whitesnake and wow, cool. I have an eclectic mix of music taste, depending on what mood I'm in. So I really um, just had a kind of a lovely childhood growing up with, with lots of love, lots of passions, lots of energy, lots of support, which um, has been important in later life. And uh, motorsport, yeah, we, lo- we loved it in this house. We watched it. You know, um, when I was growing up, Grandstand was always on and um, I, I I really enjoyed it. But it wasn't really probably until my early 20s that I started to um, ride bikes and um, I had a boyfriend who was a biker and all, all his friends. And we used to go out and we used to go to the British Superbikes and World Superbike and, you know, got completely obsessed with watching it and became One of those noisy sofa fans that shouts at the telly, why don't they do this and why don't they do that? And so, um, you know, the guys at the time, my friends at the time said, why don't you ring them and ask them? Um, So to cut a long story short, really, I did. I rang Sky Sports. (laughs) I just rang the reception and asked to speak to Martin Turner, who was producing the um, the the GP coverage at the time hadn't turned into MotoGP then and I got put through to his phone and it had his mobile phone number on on the message so I rang his mobile number and he picked up and I started chatting with him and he said who are you and I went well I'm nobody I'm just a bike fan he went would you like to come in and have a cup of coffee with me wow and I know so I obviously I did and um uh, yeah, I walked out with the job as a reporter and became the first girl to to be a reporter in, in bike sport across the world, actually. There weren't any others back in 1997. So that's really where it all started.
1: It's amazing. It was quite mad. It's, it's funny. We've had a few people from um, different broadcasting networks and so on and Sky and channel four and others and a lot of them have share a similar kind of story where they've they've stuck their neck out and and received a life-changing moment and it Mm. it seems it's a good lesson really because it i think a lot of people sort of sit back and wait for the opportunities to arrive but sometimes you've just got to stick your neck out and go for it um it it seems like you did that and you received that life-changing moment where the guy's like come and see me did you immediately, once you'd had that conversation with him, think, oh, no, this is I'm a reporter now. This is where I see my future. And, and it was all mapped out for you. Or, or did it sort of creep up in a different way?
2: Not very good at planning or looking forward. It's not it's not one of my best attributes at all. But um, I remember walking out of that chat with Martin, um, who obviously I was really very lucky to meet, um, just being so full of joy and I'll never forget that feeling I I thought it was going to burst I was trying to play it cool in the room when he offered me the job and then I walked out and I just wanted to hug somebody but I was on my own (laughs) so um, I, I, I called my parents and I couldn't believe that he'd offered me a job you know I kind of went in to see what the school was and maybe see if they would put me on some sort of course or give me some advice or you know I wasn't really sure so to walk out with a job really was incredibly fortunate but didn't I didn't know it was going to map out anything I was so overjoyed and um wanting to tell everybody that I, I didn't really think about the future and it, it was tricky you know the first the first year was was very difficult as much as I really embraced it and loved it it was a baptism of fire. So my first live broadcast was at Brands Hatch, six hours. And with open talkback, um, bikes, foreign riders that couldn't hit, you know, quite speak very well. It, yeah. it was a really weird scenario to be in when you haven't done any television before. Yeah. You know, and people think that it's easy and it's really not easy. I mean, obviously I was a cub reporter, so I wasn't holding anything together. I was just doing interviews, but... Yeah, it was, it was tough and sometimes your words wouldn't come out properly or you couldn't hear things. And it was a really good way to learn television. I remember watching back and thinking, oh, my God, I'm bloody awful. What am I doing? This people are watching this. And Martin uh, and Rory Hopkins at Sky really helped me um, for those first few races. And then they gave me my own show in 1998, which was a highlight show. And then I was anchoring something. So, you know, it it was a fast learning curve, but I, yeah, I relished it and um, it, it set me on a good path. For sure, all,
0: yeah. all thanks to that lady in reception who yeah. put you through. And
2: uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, it was, it was kind of thanks to a man called Morris Jones, who used to work with my dad. And he, he was a music promoter. And he was one of the promoters that put together Live Aid with Harvey Goldsmith. Wow. And he used to look after the Eurythmics and Simply Red and ACDC. And he started the Monsters Rock Festival at Donington. And I grew up um, with his daughters. Uh, we all grew up together. And so he, he was a big noise at Donington Park and he kind of helped me, um, and told me about Martin Turner's name. And, you know, he said, just, just ring up. He was the one that gave me the little nudge to do it. So, um, God rest his soul. It, it was kind of done to Morris really.
0: What an amazing, uh, start to, to your journey in sport and particularly obviously in, in what became MotoGP. Uh, was there anything else though that you could have done obviously the huge musical influences that were coming there Mm. was there was there an opportunity where you may have just gone down a more musical route straight off the bat because I know you did was it business and finance you studied as well so could that have been a different route for you
2: I specialised in marketing with a view to be a music promoter. That's that's really what I wanted to do. Okay. And um, as I was sort of coming to the end of the degree studies, I got offered the chance to go and work in Japan as a as a model and um, actress, really, doing TV commercials and videos and bits and pieces. Um, and it was a it, it's strange because it it was one of those opportunities that you that you couldn't really turn down. It was back in the early nineties. Uh, they said if you don't go now, and I was. I think at the time you'll be too old to go so you need to take this contract or not do it because I'd started doing some part-time modeling to pay my way through polytechnic it was then um so I went to Japan and uh I ended up staying there for pretty much a year working over there which was another story entirely extraordinary to go to Japan in the early 90s where nobody really spoke English there were no English signs and it was pretty much like landing on another planet, wow. trying to work everything out. so that that was um that that kind of also changed my path because when I came back, I carried on doing that and I carried on uh, doing TV commercials and bits and pieces in London. So I sort of uh, hadn't gone down the music route there either and uh, and then and then all this came about with television, so. I'd fallen off the music promotion path, um, I suppose really when
1: I, when I went to Japan. how do you cope well, I'm curious to know how you cope with being in the public eye because I remember when not going through some of my um, memories of watching motorsport you were very much on the screen when I was sort of I guess you know really getting into the industry. You had a recognisable face because of other the work that you'd done, whether it was Gadget Show or whatever. Did, did you cope okay being a recognised face? Did you feel that when you were sort of pottering around town?
2: I think when you're working in motorsport, you're away a lot. You know, globally, you're you're travelling all over the place. And it isn't really until you do a home race, let's say Silverstone or Donlington, that you kind of realise that people really know who you are in a sense because going back I started 25 years ago and we didn't have social media then so you know you didn't have an open um conduit I suppose to to you personally you only had paparazzi yeah so of course I did go through the paparazzi era um I think I never went to the openings of envelopes and I didn't I tried very much not to talk about my private life in public and I didn't use anything that happened to me to get column inches. So I didn't really jump in with two feet um, into the press. It terrified me and it still terrifies me to this (laughs) day. I used to get a phone call every year from the news of the world back then. Clockwork every year. We have evidence that you and Gary Ennecar have been having an affair and we're going to print it. Can you give us a quote? And I said, yeah, print it. Print it because I knew it wasn't true and it happened every single year and they would just be trying to put two and two together and those kind of phone calls um you know they used to put the fear of god at me because I don't like I actually don't like controversy I'm not very controversial even though I'm quite feisty on screen I I recognize that I'm not very much like that at all in, in my private life so um dealing with dealing with being in the public eye, I, I don't really, I feel like I've skirted around the edge of it, I suppose is a good way of describing how I feel about it. There have been times where I've been going out with somebody that's maybe been in the public eye or, you know, I've been going through a divorce or something and I've had the paparazzi sitting outside my house, you know, waiting to take pictures. Um, and I just found it incredibly intrusive. So I, I would do anything to not have that happen really yep. so i've tried to be quite quiet but the trouble is if you're quite quiet or not really so much now but back in the day back you know if we go back 20 years they would just make something up that
1: it's terrible it? you know so
2: you couldn't really win but um I, I think now i find it really quite lovely when people just say hello to you in the street and smile and i'm quite lucky on social media i don't really get a lot of nonsense you know some of my friends work in football and I read the stuff that's on their lines and I can't you know, I just—I don't—I don't think I would be on social media if I if I was them because for the ninety-nine good things I will remember the one bad thing.
1: Yeah, especially on Twitter. I mean, it's, we've talked about it on the show before. It's—it's just, it's just such a toxic place on occasion. Um, you know, people it, hide it, 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 We've had a lot
0: of, I think, guesses, particularly from
1: um, the W series as well, and you just see mm. the
0: amount of of hate they get for for no no good reason at all. And it's yeah. you know, and it's just so it's a it's a it's a blessing and a curse because you know you get these big followings but then also all the, all the baggage that comes with it as well. So it's such a, a nightmare to, um, to to navigate, I suppose. And, and I suppose the other thing, actually, w- when you're the broadcaster and when you're working as a journalist in sport, you know, you're, you, the last thing you want to be is the story. You're not the story. The people who are the story is the athletes, isn't it? They're the ones yeah. who are in the limelight. They're the people that have, have come, they, they're bringing the audiences. So out of all the sport you've done you know across motorsport and others are there any sort of amazing and you've met some amazing people as well along the way are there any standout moments you know interviews chats with people that have just stuck with you from the get-go
2: I think having the privilege of interviewing these global superstars really for want of a better phrase is incredible and when someone has either just won a race or just won a championship. I mean, the, the interviews with Lewis when he'd just won the world championship and, you know, this champagne's fresh and you can smell it and the atmosphere, you can cut it and everybody's excited. I, actually, the hairs on my arms are standing yeah. up as I'm even saying this to you. I remember the one in Texas was particularly memorable and he was so happy and he got his arm on my arm and I'd got my arm... On his elbow as well, and it was just—it was. um We did. I, I didn't realize I was doing it till I saw the pictures back afterwards in the interview. But it was almost. um I don't know if I'm sort of a little bit mumsy with with, <laughs> uh, with them because I'm so much older. I'm like, oh, well then, you know. Um But but it, the the pictures are really lovely, and you can see the joy in his face. Obviously, he's just become a world champion again, and I'm just so well proud of him, uh, in in awe of him as well. You know, because he's just so talented, and he in he, he's he's just so brilliant so I think those kind of interviews stay with me there was one with Valentino Rossi at Phillip Island he just won the championship and he took off his helmet and he got snot all across his face <laughs> you know because this happens sometimes in motorsport and he, and we were about to go live and I just put my hand over on his face and I wiped it off oh, his face Christ. and then just just did the interview, and I and I don't profess after 25 years of knowing Valentino and working with Valentino that I'm any sort of best friend of Valentino, I'm not, but I know him well enough to do something like that.
1: I could just imagine you sort of <laughs> l- licking the napkin, there you go Valentino, let's just get that off and let's crack up. <laughs> no, it wasn't
2: that bad, it wasn't that bad.
1: <laughs> but, uh, you mentioned
2: but yeah, how- I mean, you know, it's funny because when I started, I was the young one, I yeah. was the young one in the paddock, you know. I was, t- I was sort of twenty-seven years old, running around, interviewing Mick Dewan and uh, Alex Cravie and you know whoever else was was around there, really. And and then suddenly you 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 kind of become the, a different sort of figure in the paddock. And now I, I do feel a bit like I'm the mum, not maybe like the aunt figure. I don't know. But I, I these kids are sixteen years old yeah. now that are racing in Moto three, you know. And I and I do like. I, do sort of really get quite anxious about them, and yeah, um, yeah it's, 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 it's an interesting path that's gone on. Sorry, I've, I've kind of digressed from the interviews, but those interviews when I was covering the Olympics. Um, I also should mention the, the sailing that year in uh, 2004 was, was spectacular. They were making all the headlines. Uh, they called they wouldn't say this now, the three blondes in the boat, but the yeah. England girls were were brilliant that year. Um those interviews were were really exciting to do, having followed you know the journey with them. Um so I think it, it those those are sort of sorts of interviews. I remember interviewing Michael Schumacher as well at a bike event. He came to um, do a lap. I think he was. I think he rode on the Ducati, and um, the whole, obviously, the whole paddock kind of were waiting for him to come in. And we were told there was no interviews. There was to be no interviews. Well, of course, I wasn't going to have that. (laughs) <laughs> so I found his manager, and, and I said, oh, you know, blah, 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 BBC. God, love, loved flying that tag around yeah. back in the day. And I said, look, can, if I, can I just ask two questions? And he said, well, you, you can ask the questions um, that, you know, everybody else will have to take the answers from those two questions. So I was like, okay, fine. But it was such a bun fight when he came in to, to get to the front. You know, it was a big elbow. That was probably one of those um, charges. And, uh, yeah, I duly got my questions in, which – pissed off quite a few of the other journalists i think but um you know none of them would ask the manager so yeah. i thought well that' yeah. i got it and we went out live on the be so they were very happy about it too so that was another another fun one and always always a joy to speak to
0: michael a quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor f1 experiences f1 experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from formula one giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality, and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One. And thanks to F1 Experiences, you can return to the track this year. And Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experience package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when booking online at F1Experiences.com dot com you mentioned, flying the bbc flag
1: right yeah. there exactly <laughs> <laughs>
2: back, back, back in those days yeah
1: you mentioned about being quite sort of feisty on on camera and you know getting your elbows out and things like that is, is that a difficult thing to do i think that's what i would really struggle with when you're in like a media pit and you've got you know drivers coming at you and journalists from all over the world fighting for space and, and questions do you feel all right in that scenario just sort of you know nudging a few people out the way and making sure you get in there first
2: I don't think it's really like that anymore, to be honest, because it's so well-organized. So in Formula One, you, you know, you see the structure with the pen and they come round and they do do interviews yeah. pretty much with all the journalists. So it's, it's it's much more controlled than when I first started when it was just smash, bang, wallop. Yeah. And, um, but I, I, I guess up until about sort of 10, 12 years ago, it was a bit crazy. But, yeah, it wasn't my favorite part. But you just, I would go into robot mode and know that I had to get those answers for our show. And predominantly my feeling on a race weekend is always about how to get the best content for the show and what I would want if I was sitting at home, what I would want to know. So if I feel like we haven't quite done something properly, it irks me until the next race. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can put myself in that position. But you know, you don't have to do that now. It's all it's all quite um, sedate. And well, especially
0: especially these days, no one's in the paddocks anymore with uh, well, all <laughs> the <laughs> all yeah. the all the various rules. But it has been nice to see you know teams slowly start to come back into the paddock. Um, we, you brought up a few F1 memories there, um, and obviously you started in in with on two wheels and then in 2013 you moved over to, to F1 and, and the four wheel world as the first permanent female anchor how did you adapt to that, that switch to four wheels were you always a, a bit an F1 fan as well was that something you had to get to groups with quite quickly yeah in
2: 98 I did a most Sports show, a little, a little sort of magazine show, which covered um, lots of different series and um, car series. So I was kind of doing two wheels and four wheels in the early days. But yeah, I mean, I know I'm, I'm much more well known for two wheels. Um, to be honest, I'm not sh- sure how well I did in the first year. I find it very difficult. There was a lot of, um, mm, what's the way to describe this? It's quite challenging. Let's say. Um, And I, looking back, probably could have done with a bit more support in in different ways. But um, there was a lot of the things there that that I did really enjoy. And I, I think by the end of the first season, I felt like I'd cracked it. And I really enjoyed the second and third year. And was actually looking forward to the rest of the contract, which, you know, we'd all got under our belts, which we thought we were going to do with the BBC. So I thought I had three more years. Um, But, yeah, you're talking about slipping in with the sort of – there have been a few years I hadn't done MotoGP, actually. I'd stopped doing MotoGP. I was doing the gadget show. I was trying to have a family at the time. So there's quite a lot going on personally as well as professionally. And then I – in, in 2012, I got asked to go and do Formula One. So that was obviously, you know, amazing to, to be asked to do it, terrifying as well. Um, stepping into, you know, good shoes. Jake Humphrey done an incredible job. There'd been a lot of noise around Jake coming in and the kind of relationship that had organically grown between EJ and DC and Jake was was good, you know, it was strong, it was comparable to the top gear boys and to come in i knew i was going to get some shit for want of a better word really from uh, various different people didn't realize i was going to get quite so much from women but there you go that just shows how girls can be sometimes so yeah it took a little while to to settle in took me i would say it took me a season to settle in but interestingly i had a conversation with um martin Bundle and and, because the sky guys were actually very supportive and very kind and I spent quite a lot of time with them. And Martin said, it always takes a season wherever you've come from to feel comfortable here. And I did have some lovely um, uh, friends in the paddock. Nikki Lauder, you know, was very good support for me. Um, Toto was always very kind. DC was brilliant. Um, Eddie became brilliant. So, you know, we we did get there. But yeah, I I found it tough the first year. And I just found the way that we covered it was a bit different to what i've been used to um but i think i probably had to up my game and i and i look back and think it probably made me a better broadcaster
1: yeah no for sure i, I mean fair play to you i think it's it's very hard going into that environment and um you know you you'd done so much in in moto gp um and and were so well respected there and like you say having to fill jake's shoes but i think you did a fantastic job and um you know credit to you um now listen um you've you've done your f1 coverage you've done your moto gp coverage you've had some highlights but nothing will come close to this susie perry it is time to introduce you to the motormouth quiz i'll pass you over to my illustrious bearded colleague to tell you more (laughs) Yes, Susie Perry, welcome to the hardest quiz in motorsport, motor mouths,
0: quite frankly, because sometimes I'm not even sure if the answers are correct. Um, so I've got four questions for you and a bonus question, all to do with you and your career and uh, the ins and outs of it. Um, it should hopefully, I've done the questions. It, I, I think I've been, I think you should be okay. There are 14 points up for grabs. At the moment, Nelson Piquet Jr. and Lee McKenzie are, are tied at the top on 14 points, uh, along with. And then we've got some other people who's down. Natalie Pinkham's got 12 points. Then Mark, uh, Mark, uh, Mark Blundell's down there with 12. So it's a big, long leaderboard. Oh, Hope Blundell
2: think... won't be happy with that, will he? No,
0: I mean, no, he, I... he was fuming I think he... that you've
2: just you've just mentioned a few tryhards there. I'm not quite sure about this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Let's see if you can get into double digits. Fingers crossed. Are you ready for your first question? I don't think so there we go then alright so during your first season covering F1 as we just discussed for the BBC in 2013 how many British drivers were on the grid and can you name them all um
2: right how many British drivers so there was uh, there was Max
1: yep yeah. yeah.
2: obviously Lewis Yeah. Gents
1: yep yeah saving the big gun till last he's uh, oh, oh Lewis
0: you've got Lewis Jensen and Max, Max Chilton there is one more who Harry idolises he's to my number one to an unhealthy um, degree it's a strange it's a strange driver to be a particular fan of it's but, a stra- um, very
1: one way relationship isn't it
0: uh, this was his last season in Formula One. Well, yeah, it was his last season in Formula One. Uh, he's from uh, David Coulthard Land.
1: giving it away. Um. Oh, it
2: was Sir uh, Paul. Yeah, yes. Paul yeah. Paul, Paul, Paul. Dresta. Yeah, Paul. Full house. Good. Sorry, Paul. Paul remiss of me.
0: PDR. I'll give you. I'll give you a half a point for that. You can claw back some points if you can tell me what teams they raced for.
2: Hang on, you've just taken a half point away from me. She got them right.
0: Yeah, but we had to give you Paul Ghost. Oh no, I think Come she, on, she should I think she should have Apple, I
1: think she should have all of those.
0: <laughs> can, can you tell me? I'll reinstate it if you can tell me the teams that they raced for.
2: Uh, Lewis, has uh, um, not he gone? go? Oh god, how did he gone to Mercedes? Oh. Um I think he had.
0: Yes, he had. So, yes, 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 he had, yeah, he
2: had. He had. And I think it was his first year. Was it his first
0: yeah, year? Yeah,
2: yeah, I think it was. His
0: first got, year. I think I feel like I've got what? early dementia sweat. coming on. <laughs> oh, no. The others should be fairly well. Jensen, who was he with? Because obviously, him and Hamilton were teammates previously, weren't they? Oh, so, Jensen was
2: still with McLaren? Yep.
0: Yes. Correct. P- and then the P- last P- two could be could be easy, could be difficult. Not sure.
2: Max was with Mar- Marisha.
0: Yep. Yes. Right. Spot on. And good old um, Paul De Resta. Um. It was four.
2: Bloody hell! This is bad.
0: You know, you've caught backs and points already, so this is just for a, a additional pride now. I think we're back up to full, <laughs> full house on this I'm gonna, one. I'm giving sure. you the full points anyway because you have you've done well there. But if you can get if you can get the final. Can we do it? It was a midfield team yeah, um, sort of uh, um, uh, representing a, a whole country in a way. Bit of a dodgy team owner. Uh, oh gosh, 470, India. Yes.
2: There you go. There
0: we go. We got there. That's okay, that's right. Badgy, isn't it? That was just question one, Susie. Uh, okay. Oh. oh my God. <laughs> the next one's, hopefully the next one should be should be easy and a bit quicker. Um, let's head over to two wheels. The current championship leader in MotoGP is the Frenchman, Fabio Quartararo, But can you tell me how old he is and where in France he was born? That's a tough one, where in France he was born. It was, yeah, but it, it's, it's, it's a mainstream place, so hopefully... He's 22. Correct. He is 22 years old. Correct.
2: I, and I feel like
0: it's Nice. Correct. It is Nice. In one. Fabulous. The 22-year-old from Nice, Fabio Cotoraro. Um, there we go. We're back on track. Okay. Question three. How much older... Is Valentino Rossi than Lewis Hamilton?
1: Oh, God. To the nearest one year-ish. Yeah, Valentino's 42. Mm
0: -hmm. That is correct, yeah.
2: And Lewis is, I can't remember. What's Lewis now? Lewis has got to be like 35, something like that.
0: So, Am how are you in the ballpark? Hmm. You're, in, you're, def, you're absolutely in the ballpark, yes. Or is he
2: 34?
0: Oh, oh. you're getting colder. 35. Is he 36? He might be. <laughs> <laughs> so, say he was maybe 35, 36. What's the age gap there? What are you going for? I'll give, If, you're, if oh. you're within one, I'll give it to you. I'll go with 35
2: because that's what I said first. So, let's say seven years.
0: Oh, it's actually six. He's 36, so the gap is six years. Brilliant but I'll give effort. you the point anyway, because you're in, you're in the ballpark. This is looking really uh, good. At, at the
1: moment, you're on track to to get a podium position.
0: You are right up there, Susie. We've got one more question and then a bonus point for you to get okay. as well. So uh, question four. Uh, you began uh, presenting uh, the what was MotoGP or what became MotoGP in 1997 as, as the reporter, as we discussed. Who was the champion that year? Um who became champion in 1997
2: who was champion in 1997 uh, who became
0: champion in 1997 at the end of I the season i think it was um, 1997 would have still been McGovern.
1: Oh, absolutely spot on this is getting um, tense now
0: this is this is if you get this is you're going you are going right to the top we've actually salvaged this your bonus point here now i'm not entirely sure about this answer it's the best i could <laughs> do on the old the old google How many series of the gadget show have there been in total? I think if you get in around the ballpark, we'll give you the point here. I think within
1: five, because there's been a lot. Yeah. I did
2: 16. I did 16 series in the first eight years.
1: It's still going? Uh,
2: Yes. Uh, It's still going. So um, so there was (laughs) 2012...
0: Oh, she's even, do, she's doing the numbers, like, she's doing she's the finger maths.
2: Ten fingers.
1: She's got the so there, could,
2: there could have been another 20 series since then, I think. Let's say, um, if I did 16, 36, 30, let's say
0: 35. Oh my word! That is the number I have written down, the yeah. 35 series. <laughs> that is incredible. It's Susie Perry, that's one leader. extra bonus point. And you know what that does? I don't even need to do the dance. No. That sends you to the, to the top of the leaderboard. Susie Perry, uh, you are on top. The head of the rest, PK Junior Lee McKenzie, uh, who are Connor Daly from Mark Webber ahead of him as well, right at the top Oh, there. I'll take
2: being ahead of Mark uh, Webber. Yeah, you, yeah, you are here he, right. he
0: could only do 12. So you've I'm going to message him now. Insert, <laughs> or, <laughs> insert <laughs> or insert applause. Unbelievable. Susie Perry,
1: thank you very much for playing the hardest quiz in motorsport. Goodness me. Well done. I have to say, when we first started that quiz, if we had fast forwarded a few minutes, I wasn't expecting you, let's be honest, to be top of the leaderboard, but you are. (laughs) That first one was a challenge. It was a
2: a slow start. But you know why? Honestly, I'll tell you a secret. My memory is absolutely shit. (laughs) And. (laughs) I can't remember, like, as you could tell there, uh, really big things. I can't remember stuff. So, um, to go back to 2013 for me is very difficult.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you did very well. You did very well indeed. Now, that, that's the highlight of your career out of the way, which you can feel free to reference in future interviews. As well, the, I think it is the greatest highlight. point yeah, of your yeah. career. <laughs> um, Starstruck, let's talk about that. Have you ever got starstruck? I mean, you, you've mentioned some of the big names that you've interviewed. Have you ever stood in front of someone and thought, holy shit, I'm, I am nervous? Um, uh, 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 uh,
2: probably not so much within sport, but Eric Clapton once came to Silverstone and I, <laughs> I, I love him so much. I've, I've seen him so many times live. And I stood next to him and I couldn't speak to him. And I was so annoyed with myself afterwards. Um, So, yeah with Eric Clapton, I suppose, and it has—it is a most important memory because it was at Silverstone. It comes to the Formula One. I, I just felt like such an idiot. It's, but, um, it's yeah, weird, though. Tim, I guess: when,
1: when you're with someone that you're—if you know, you're not interviewing someone, but you're with someone that you admire or even someone famous—it's—it's it's different to this kind of scenario, like where we're here to interview you. But if you're stood next to someone like that, it is different. And the only way I can compare it—and I'm not comparing Eamon Holmes here to uh, Eric Clapton—but <laughs> <laughs> I was at a services the other day, and and Eamon came pottering in through the and he went oh thanks for holding the door wherever it was and I, in my head I was going come on ask for a photo ask for a photo I didn't do it and I've been kicking myself ever since. Uh, no it's a shame because Eamon's fantastic and Eamon is one of the uh, obviously a very
2: very familiar face to us all very. who you can strike up a conversation with about holding the door open yeah. or about anything at all he's just genuinely a really lovely lovely human being um, but I, I suppose you know faced with Eric Captain or whoever your idol might be. It's hard to strike up a conversation without hearing yourself back on what you're saying, thinking you idiot, you idiot. And I, and I see it a lot, you know, when someone sort of comes up to you and, and says something and, and it's, same thing that you've heard a million times before, you know, what's and Rossi like or whatever. I don't want to be that person that says to at Clapton, Oh, I love your music. Or, yeah. <laughs> I-, I went to see you at so-and-so because I just think he probably doesn't give a shit about that. <laughs> so it's better if you can strike up a conversation with somebody about the fact that you've held the door open and, you know, I don't know. like Guy has many job, whatever. But you, you can do that, and I think it's easier if you're in a scenario where you're not interviewing somebody, and something does happen that's a bit normal every day that yeah. you can start talk because then you can get into a normal conversation. But to to open a conversation with somebody, I think is very very difficult if you you know if you do love them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I love eamon I do love Amon. Well,
2: yeah, I who, love Amon doesn't as well.
0: Yeah. who doesn't love Eamon Holmes It's yeah. a hard man not to love yeah. um, you'll, you'll rue that one Tim you'll rue it yeah. um, now Susie arguably you've done a bit less in the last year travel wise but it's been a huge part of uh, your career especially when you work in, in motorsport and sport in general how have you coped with it I suppose it, it must be quite draining you know not just physically but mentally as well it's the worst bit
2: um, uh, you know it it, was, it was really interesting this year I did my final interview with Valentino Rossi at at Silverstone and the BRDC club and um, bearing in mind that he's been racing at top level for 20, um, 26, 27 years. And he said to me that the switch went off two years ago and he realized that getting on a plane and going to the same racetracks all over the world, staying in the same place Going to the track, coming back again, was actually quite tedious. It had taken them twenty-five years to get to that point. Uh-huh. Now, I think anybody that's in production or broadcasting will say it's the travel that's that does you. It does you in the end because you spend usually the whole life, your whole uh, year, being jet lagged. Pretty much nine months being jet lagged or tired, and it, you can't, you shouldn't say it out loud because it's a privileged position to be in. Of course, yeah. to be doing this job, it's it's the best job in the world. But, yeah, the travel is rubbish. If you can click your fingers and just appear in Australia or China or America or whatever, then, yeah, you, you know, I would definitely want to do that. For me, it's the it's the damn part. And it's the part that ultimately will probably make me go, I'm done with this now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can fully um, get on board with that. I've done my fair share of traveling, and actually, I've, I've just started traveling again after all the, the lockdown um, shenanigans. And um, my my most recent experience, just to highlight how challenging it now is, was with at the um, the Berlin finale for Formula E. And I went out there to uh, to work with a company called Vestas, who sponsor um, Mercedes EQ, and got to my hotel. Um, Checked in, we- <laughs> fist pumped Mark Webber randomly at reception. Then went to get my PCR test, which was positive. So I spent the next um, eight or nine days in uh, in a hotel room in Berlin. Missed all of the race, missed all of the work I was supposed to do, and then eventually managed to go home. Um, and but it was an absolute disaster. And and uh, fortunately, I've got a relatively sound mind. But I can imagine if I was in any way, shape, or form unstable in any way, my mental health would have been absolutely broken after literally spending eight days in a Berlin hotel room.
2: So what's the moral of that story? Do you know? Uh,
1: I think the moral is... probably just don't travel <laughs> don't go anywhere and the, moral, the
2: moral of the story is not to fist bump Mark Webber
1: well I thought I, I feel okay clearly... I feel okay saying that now because um it was a while ago now but at the time I was like oh god I've given Mark Webber COVID so if if, <laughs> if, if, if it was I was thinking if it comes out that he's he's got COVID then it's clearly my fault fortunately he didn't <laughs> so I didn't pass it on But um, I shouldn't fist pump full stop because the amount of times I've done that thing where, you know, you've got a fist pump and someone grabs your hand or... Like grabs a finger or you just sort of flop into each other's hands it's just a, a shame i would say I'd tell
0: you, this is a brief sidetrack but the worst time i've ever done that i think i've told this story to you tim as well i, I when i was a, I used to be a, when i was starting out as a runner and i one of my first jobs was with with five live at uh, the bbc being a runner um helping jenny gow out at silverstone oh, i love jenny on the grid and uh, she was about to interview anthony joshua and I was stood there um just, just with him helping him wait for Jenny to come over and he looks at me, he's like, Oh you're right, mate, and he goes in with the fist bump and I go in with the handshake and it and uh. when it's Anthony Joshua. Yeah. Luckily, luckily, yeah, it, 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 it was a last minute swerve and we just about avoided it, but there was a, we all knew what was what, what would have happened. So that was the worst time, I think. That's when when it's up against a a, a, bo- a boxer like that. I don't think there's any coming back from it, is it? You were gonna say a boxing (laughs) legend
1: like that, but he's no longer a legend because he's he's been defeated twice. He has been defeated. Um, Um But we, we, we digress, Susie. Yeah. Yes, um, yes. Because
0: uh, we're we're running out of time with you. Uh, but we do do a a final three questions that we ask.
2: No, not, all no, of no, guests. not more, not more. No, yeah, there's no, no, no not, point. No test. points
0: up for grabs. Not a test. No, nothing to gain. I'm afraid. Um, but there are our final three, uh, brought to you by F1 Experiences. Um, Tim, do you want to kickstart? I do, um, Susie.
1: What's got you excited at this very moment?
2: I'm going out for lunch with my parents. Ooh, that's oh, very exciting for me.
1: Where are you going? Nice restaurant?
2: I'm going to a restaurant called Fume, which is an Italian restaurant where lots of wolf players go. So secretly, mm. while I'm having a lovely time with my mum and dad, I'll be just looking over their shoulder to see who's <laughs> coming
0: in. See what you've done there. Clever. <laughs> see who's about get a photo or two. See who's, yeah. see who's holding the door open. Yeah. Uh,
2: see comes in.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, enjoy your lunch. Uh, second question for you um what's your favorite moto gp destination
2: um my favorite destination is austin but it's not my favorite racetrack my favorite racetrack is mugello
0: yeah okay austin. Austin. How, is it more fun in austin and, and actual racing is good in, in uh, mugello
2: Exactly, yeah. I mean Rogello is beautiful. It's in the middle of Tuscany, of course, it's absolutely gorgeous and everything about it is wonderful and it's Valentino land and I love it and I've got yeah. so many happy memories there. Um Austin is fun the night out for the bands for the live music for the crazy crazy for the dueling piano bar yeah. you know and everybody's out there and I feel like when you go on a long haul race in motorsport the riders and the drivers forget that they're famous and they throw themselves in so you just have these wildfires which are brilliant.
1: Yeah, absolutely couldn't agree more. Uh, final question for you before we let you get on with your day what are you scared of?
2: I'm scared of I don't know. What was good? I'm not sure really. (laughs) <laughs> that's a, the worst answer you've ever had.
0: Well, do, uh, oh, how are you with you know little creepy crawlies spiders? Would you ever go into the jungle? Actually, that's a good question.
2: I'm fine with that sort of stuff. I love it. I'm, I'm massively into nature and yeah, okay. animals, and I save everything. So that, it's not a it's not a spider. I'm not I'm not as good with heights um, as I once was. So probably the crazy things I used to do in the gadget show. I don't think I would jump off bridges now and out of planes. So may, maybe that should be what I'm scared of.
1: Mm, you, I think fair, fair enough you would uh, have you ever considered the jungle or any of those those shows
2: Um, I've, it's always a, a timing thing to be honest yeah. for me because they cross over the end of the season so I've, I have been asked to go in the jungle and I yes I did consider it but it meant missing yeah. so many races I couldn't do that because yeah. you know for contractual reasons <laughs> yeah. so um, so yeah no I, I, I mean I've I'd love to do Strictly I'd love to learn to dance oh. properly that would be amazing well, those are the two really that I think I'd uh, probably be or maybe Chef. maybe I should oh, be MasterChef
1: yeah. I like cooking so. what's, what's your favourite yeah. dish to cook?
2: oh I just I, I don't eat meat so um, I'll be all vegetable things um I love curries, so yeah, let's let's go with the
0: with the curry option. Solid that's solid a, choice there. A good choice. <laughs> I like that you
1: don't eat meat. I'm from Wolverhampton. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I'm in the middle of my my uh, plant based. Uh, clean diet and uh, so i can vouch for the whole not eating meat thing I mean, I mean i'm doing eating a tiny bit but most of it is completely clean and unprocessed and i genuinely have never felt better in my life like right now oh, That's good. right now as of this morning on the 5th of october eleven twenty-three, i have never felt better i feel lighter than i have done for a year and a half and i've i wake up in the morning like i leap out of bed i'm like i'm ready I'm ready for the day, and usually I'm a hungover mess, so I'm, I'm enjoying this, um, <laughs> this new family. Well, you
2: have an amazing advert there for, for plant-based food. Yeah, um, nice. yeah. Well, yeah. I'm about all over it. years, I think, now, and, yeah, very happy to be maintaining that. And it, you know what it actually does? It just changes the way that you think about eating and cooking. Um, and I find the food much more tasty, and um, I'm glad that restaurants are getting into it as well now. And uh, I mean apart from the obvious thing that you shouldn't eat meat, but people seem to eat meat every single day these yeah. days, whereas I think when I was growing up, that didn't happen. My, my granddad was a butcher, so... <laughs> not sure he'd be particularly impressed with me right now but anyway um, yeah you,
1: you definitely should have days
0: where you don't put meat in your body ideally seven <laughs> there's another podcast we'll clip, right there we'll, clip, we'll use
2: that as the clip for when we uh... oh no no because I hate everybody will hate on
0: me people won't be expecting that from Stick this kind of podcast we do talk about everything on here yeah. um, we really could talk to you uh, all day I think Susie but um we have run out of time there I think but uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on to the show it's been great to, to get you on and chat to you about your life and your career and all the things you're up to. It's been great to get your insights as well. Uh, so Susie Perry, thank you very much for joining us on the Motormouth podcast.
2: Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure to talk to you both. Really, really enjoyed it
0: and I'm now going to hunt for <laughs> <laughs> Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel programme of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages which include the best race tickets, first class hotels, travel and exclusive behind the scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages. Like no other. So, to book your F1 experiences package, head online to F1Experiences.com, and if you enter code MotorMouth, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too. So make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motor Mouth Podcast.